Amen. What a wonderful time of worship. Isn't it great to just slow down your week, pause, and kind of get, get your mind right back with, with God and reconnect with Him? I'm so grateful for the worship team this morning lead, leading us in that. Well, this morning we're continuing in our series in James, and, uh, and so hopefully we're getting opportunities to apply some of the things that we're learning. But uh, this morning we thought we'd start by uh, standing up and uh, reading from James chapter 3. Thank you, Chad, for setting the pace on that. James chapter 3, verses 13 through 18, and then we're going to break down those verses. So read with me, uh, or along, you don't have to read out loud, but verse 13 says this. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace, by those who make peace. You can have a seat. We're in a world, if you look around, that's pretty obsessed with knowledge. People around us love that. I've even noticed that even in our brief introduction to the school system here in Agora, we love knowledge, adding more and more information in our small brains and building that up. I was reading this week, I thought it was fascinating that the accumulation of information has doubled every year since 2003. It just keeps getting faster and faster. We just keep adding this pile of information. Our knowledge base is unbelievable. The internet, as you guys know, has really set the, the pace for this, where the, the knowledge base keeps expanding and expanding and expanding. We even have gotten to the point where we call our phones smart, right? We, we call our phones smart. I'm still not sure what uh, qualifies as a dumb phone, but, uh, but we do have our, our smartphones and uh, maybe the flip ones, maybe, I don't know. But, but the smartphones, we call those smart. We have an obsession with, with knowledge and we keep piling on the pile. And even in our own mi minds, we love to build our repertoire of things that we know. But I wonder, with all this buildup of knowledge, are we growing in wisdom? Are we growing in wisdom? So we're getting smarter and smarter and smarter, but are we becoming more and more wise? Are we becoming more and more wise? Our text here gives some, some definition to what actually wisdom is because you can, if you're not careful, you can get in that same trek that the world around us is in where you're just kind of adding more, adding more, even in as it relates to God's word, adding more, adding more, but are we becoming wise or are we becoming smart? Verse 1 or verse 13, we take a look where James begins to define what wisdom is. We get some clarity of what wisdom is starting in verse 13. He starts by saying this. He says, "Who is wise and understanding among you?" Who is wise and understanding among you? 
And I, I, I love picturing these, these different scenarios because you kind of picture that, that room. They've uh, received this letter from uh, James, and they, they typically would read a letter. They'd all come together and get to read the letter together. And you imagine with that initial statement where he asked this question, who is wise and understanding among you? There probably was a few hands that went up, me, me, me. Like, like that's me. I, I fall in that category. I'm wise and understanding. And, and, and how quickly we are to take that on. To say, uh, to say that, yeah, that, that's me. I'm, I'm, I'm a wise person. I'm a wise person. I thought it was interesting. MacArthur notes, it's hard to find a self-professed fool. It's hard to find a self-professed fool. Who is wise and understanding around us? Most ha- of us have an elevated and unrealistic view of our own wisdom, if we're honest. We have an elevated and, and amplified view of our, of our own wisdom, if we're honest. I, I took for years different teams to some different local malls in the Chicago area, going out and looking for opportunities to share Christ with folks there, and we called it awkward evangelism, because there was kind of that, that initial awkwardness, and you never knew where the conversation was going to go. But I remember specifically one time talking to this guy who's probably 17, 18 years old, and, and had a chance to kind of hear what, what his belief system and I'll tell you what, it was a collection of a little bit like a best of religion, you know, like a little bit of Buddha, a little bit of re- reincarnation, some, I, I, some salt thrown in there. Like there's a little bit of everything for this stew that he called his belief system. And I got to the end of it and, and he thought he had it all figured out. And I, I asked him, I said, I said, is there any possibility in your mind that you've got it all wrong? And he, and he kind of looked and he's like, no. And I was like, so with your, with your 17 or 18 years of, of life experience, you've, you've solved all of this, right? You've got it all worked out. And, and he kind of, I don't think he answered that question, but it, but it was interesting to me just the way I thought he kind of did a great job of encapsulating kind of our culture as a whole. Everybody believes they've got it all figured out but if you, if you actually put, and they feel sorry for everybody else, right? right? They, like, I've got it figured out, but everybody else, you know, they'll, they'll come along eventually. That's the mentality of our culture. You notice that? And, 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 so, and so, but what James is doing there is he's, he's redefining, he's saying, who is wise and understanding among you? And then he moves to the actual definition. He says, by his good conduct, let him show his works. By his good conduct, let him show his works. In other words, it's not just the accumulation of wisdom, of possessing knowledge or facts, but effectively applying truth to everyday life. That's wisdom. It's just not accumulation of facts. It's effectively applying truth to everyday life. That's wisdom dressed. Wisdom is dressed in working clothes. Wisdom is dressed in working clothes. That it's something that we have to, that we actually have to move from the head to actually doing. If I asked all of us from last week that we're attending, who could tell me what we talked about? I'm pretty sure, like, if you if you turn your wheels back, you'd be like, or maybe if I gave a, a little reminder. Anybody re- remember what we talked about? We we re- we talked about taming the tongue. So that that that's the knowledge piece. We can say that. Now, what if I move, so there's probably some hands that go up for that one, but what if I move the question to say, now how many of us 
actually took the opportunity this past week to get a little more rain on their words that maybe took the challenge of, I gave you may remember last week, the specific challenge of looking for opportunities to bless those that we really love and care about, looking for opportunities to do that. I'll bet you the, the, the amount of hands going up aren't quite as many. That's wisdom. That's the application of knowledge. My wife set the example for us in this this past week at, a, at one of our, our dinners. She, she, said, uh, she said, you know what, guys, we're going to do during dinner is we're going to take time and we're going to pause and we're going to think of things that we really love about Chase and we're going to tell them that. And so we took, a, took time in our, in our meal time and everybody went around the table and, and, and took time to bless little Chase. He's been going through kind of a tough time at school. And, and so we just took time, each one of us, thinking about things that we really love about Chase. And you wouldn't believe seeing his little face light up. Like he, he just, his demeanor changed just from that time of, of blessing, that time of blessing. You see, that's the difference between knowledge and wisdom, as he's pointing it out here in the text. That knowledge is just exactly that. It's a, an immoral thing, but when it actually moves to action, that's when it becomes wisdom. And so in our text in the remainder, there's two different types of, of wisdom that we're going to see. We're going to see human wisdom, and we're going to see godly wisdom. It's not real complicated. It just paints two different pictures, because human wisdom is knowledge applied inappropriately, and godly wisdom is knowledge applied appropriately. Real simple, right? Human wisdom is using the knowledge that we have rightly. And then godly wisdom is using it appropriately. We're going to see in verse 14, taking a look at the root of human wisdom. Verse 14 says this. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Again, the, the root of human wisdom we see here. And I thought it was interesting. The same thing that we saw last week was the root and cause of, of, the, of, of the, the tongue issues that we had, that it starts with the heart, that it starts with the heart. And he paints a, a picture there of the, the, the type of, uh, of, of earthly wisdom. He says that it says that he describes it as two different characteristics. And you can see that in your notes. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, but both of those starting in the heart. Both of those starting with the heart thing. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, watch over your heart with all diligence. Because if we're not careful, the outcome from our heart becomes bitter jealousy. Bitter jealousy. Now, I was thinking about that. Like, how do you define that? What is, what is bitter, bitter jealousy? Like, that's, that's, a, that's a pretty ugly thing, but it's pretty prevalent in the world around us. It's not just jealousy. Like, jealousy is like seeing something else and, and wanting that for yourself or an achievement. And, and what we see in our culture around us is that, that we start to resent anything that gets in the way of our own objectives. We're bitter about anyone else succeeding. We see somebody get that, that raise or move up the ladder and there's just that little bit of resentment that you're like, wait, I deserve that. I should have gotten that. That should have happened to me. 
that, 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 that little bit of bitterness. And it plays itself out in our, in our culture all around us. Uh, I was thinking about some practical ways that I've seen it. Anybody pay attention during the kind of the political campaign? Like talk about bitter jealousy. Like how ugly does it get just with these, with these different political correspondents on the, on the television just ripping into each other, just tearing each other to shreds on a da- daily basis. The bitter jealousy comes out in a, in a terrible way. And what it also comes out is individually, I see it just with the, this own pursuit of having a little bit more than the person next to us. You see, it's not an issue I notice in our culture. It's not an issue of having enough. It's having a little bit more than the person next to us. There's, the, there's, this, there's, this jeal- there's this jealousy competitive piece in our culture because it's not an issue of like, okay, we've, got, we've arrived, we've got enough. It's more of this comparison thing. And so we find in our world around us that we try to compete by buying things we don't need with money we don't have, trying to impress people we don't know, right? So we buy things, we, we, we compete with the world around us trying to buy things that we don't have with, uh, or, or, or we see somebody else have with money that we, we really, if we're honest, we don't have, have room for that. Trying to impress people that we don't even know. That's the bitter jealousy in the world around us. And that leads directly into the second one, the selfish ambition, this self-fulfillment at any cost, whatever it takes I'm going to do whatever it takes. And people become just a means to an end. People, that's, that's the way earthly wisdom works. They just see people as, as another step on a ladder to rise up. And that's what we're surrounded with in our culture. Selfish ambition. Becoming a means to an end. Really, if we're honest with ourselves, as, as, as it comes down to in this area, life comes down to either serving one of two things. Either we're serving ourselves. That's the selfish, selfish ambition route. Or we're serving other people. We're serving others like, a, elevating others before, above ourselves. But selfish ambition, as painted here in the text, is, is an ugly thing in the root of all kinds of evil. I've spent a lot of time over the years just counseling different folks. And, and one of the things that's kind of a common thread I've seen, especially with, with young adults, is just a growing number of people that are just really depressed. Have you noticed that just with people that you interact with, just people that are just kind of down and they're kind of in a fog and they're, they're depressed? And one of the things I've noticed over 15 years of, of counseling is the trend that I've noticed is that, that folks that are really depressed, I know there's, there's outside examples of this, but it seems the pattern that I've noticed is the person that's really depressed is usually pretty self-centered usually pretty self-centered. Their world kind of revolves around one thing, around themselves. And it leads to this existence of, of pain and discontentment that we see here in the text. And it says, James gives a, a pretty stern warning. It says, Don't bo- do not boast and be false with the truth that if you're motivated and characterized by these two things, by bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, yet you claim to belong to God and have his wisdom, then you're false to truth. This idea, you, you can't be truthful. If these two things are things that are descriptors of you, that you're, that you're consumed with, with, with climbing and, and, and rising up, if that's a descriptor of you, you can't, can't claim to be in Christ because that, that's earthly wisdom. That's earthly wisdom. It says, don't boast and be false to the truth. 
So we see that we see defined that, that wisdom has to do with, with action and that the root of it has to, of, of human wisdom has, has to do with bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. We see as the text continues that there's some specific characteristics of human wisdom. Look in verse 15 with me. It says, This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. That's human wisdom. Earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. I thought it's interesting that those three areas that it describes there are what we typically describe as the three enemies of, of man, world, flesh, and the devil, right? And so it describes there are three different categories, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. What, is, what does earthly peace look like? And that's, that's really the, what, what I see in the, the world around us is really in school systems is this earthly knowledge that whatever is, uh, whatever man can come up with through theory, through discovery, through accomplishment, this summarizes and this makes up the earthly wisdom that we see around us. That man is supreme. Whatever his mind and this young man that I was describing at the mall, whatever he came up with out of his limited experience and limited life, that is earthly wisdom. And we're surrounded with us that every direction we look. The other one, unspiritual, or in the flesh, unspiritual, it originates with natural man. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are, they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. I was reading an article this week in the, they had a, a little quote from the, the president of Harvard University. We typically elevate Harvard as kind of the, one of the, the, the greatest institutions within our, our country. And what, what he said about the spiritual, he said this, he said, things divine have been central to neither my professional or private life. Things divine have been central to neither my professional or private life. He's exactly painting this exact picture. That's saying like the spiritual has nothing to do with this. There's no part of it that's, that's necessary. We can do this all based on human accomplishment. And that's kind of what we're surrounded with. That's the earthly wisdom that we see. Kind of consumed with me. And realizing that, not bringing into the equation that there's really anything spiritual to any of this. That this all exists just strictly as something that we solve, that we test. And that's the world around us. The last one there, demonic, is described as another characteristic of, of human wisdom. And, and if, you, if you think back, Satan's always promised wisdom, right? Like that's always been the thing that he's tried to make, make it, it more and more appealing. Even back to Eve, this will make you wise. This will make you more and more wise. And he's, he's really built into a world system of wisdom that biblical Christians are considered relics of superstitious pre-scientific age that are really relying on fantasy. Like that's, that's what he's painted this picture of us as believers. Do you guys realize that? In our culture around us, we're seen as somebody that, man, they just don't get it. Like they are clueless. They're kind of still living in superstition world. They're still living in like pre-scientific world. That's what the world around us says. And that's what constitutes earthly wisdom. Those three things, earthly, unspiritual, demonic. But look in verse 16, what the outcome of all of this is, all of our, our great feats and accomplishments of knowledge. The outcome is, 16 says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder 
and every vile practice. Where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. You see, we serve a God that's, that's all about order. He loves to have things orderly. He, he's put things uh, perfectly in place. Like you think of the way even the human body works, it all functions perfectly together. But when there's selfish ambition, when those are things that, that, that are consumed, then it's every single person pursuing their, their, their own rise, then what does that lead to? It says in the text that it leads to disorder. And then even worse than that, Every vile practice, all the byproducts of this we see in the world around us, like it's, it's everywhere we look. This chaos, it's racism, it's sexual perversion, broken families, hate crimes, abortion, war, theft, starvation, and human trafficking even, selling people. How crazy is that? That's the chaos that comes from this human wisdom, this selfish ambition, trying to rise up on our own. But then godly wisdom, thankfully, I love the, the trend in each one of these, these texts of James. He kind of does this. He paints the really ugly, dark picture, and then he paints the alternative, which I, I like kind of ending with that. Are you guys okay with that? Turn your corner. And we, we, we've done that, I think, the last three or four weeks because that's what the text always seems to do. He, he, he paints this picture, but then he says, basically, there's a different way. There's a different way to do this. I find it fascinating in uh, early church in Acts, they described those who uh, followed Jesus, they described, the, described them as the followers of the way. Followers of the way. Not, ju not just followers, not just seeing Jesus as the way to eternal life, but the way to do life. Does that make sense? And, and I love it because that's, that's this in a nutshell. He's saying, man, this is, where, this is where earthly wisdom will get you. It'll get you a lot of disorder. It'll get you a lot of chaos. When you talk to some of the folks around you, in the, and that's, that's an exact description of them, just complete chaos. Their life is just snowballing every direction. But what he's saying is there's a different way to do this. Godly wisdom is the right way to apply knowledge. Godly wisdom is the right way to apply knowledge. So this way that he describes, and I, I thought it was so cool yesterday with the ladies at Teen Challenge. We just heard testimony after testimony. I was there helping serve. Uh, I wasn't just there as a lady. Um, uh, so, and, and so the... Um, I uh, thought that disclaimer was important. But, uh, but they just had story after story of testimony of different ladies coming up here and saying, man, I was doing this old way of thing that was all about me and self-consumed, but then I was introduced to a different way. I was introduced to a different way of living, and my life is radically changed. It's been transformed. When Jesus is driving the ship, it looks completely different. Take a look at, back in the text he says, but the wisdom from above, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. I love the picture that he paints there. I would say, how, would you guys agree with me on that? That that descriptor is a little more appealing than chaos and every vile practice? Yeah, like I've, I vote for that camp. So, so he describes it, he breaks it down. He breaks it down and he says first by saying, hey, just make sure that you recognize that this wisdom is coming from God. 
the one that made you, the one that knows you intimately, that designed you and formed you in your mother's womb. He's the one that designed this. And it starts by describing it as pure, pure. It's absent of any contaminants. That's God's wisdom. It's pure. And then he goes on to this description of seven different characteristics. The first one I thought was pretty cool. It's peaceable. It's peaceable. Moving towards unity, peace, kind of drama-free. Anybody willing for a life of that, absent of drama? Like, yeah, down with drama, right? So peaceable, peaceable. The next one, gentle. The NIV describes that as considerate, gentle, considerate, not harsh. Husbands, we could all learn on this one, right? Not harsh, gentle. That's godly wisdom, not quarrelsome. Number three, open to open to reason, open to reason. I think that one, that one really stuck in my mind as I was thinking through like how few people there are out there that are really open to reason. They have their minds set on different things and you can't even make a rational argument with them. They're just not open to reason. What a gift it is if somebody could say like, he's really reasonable. He's open to, uh, I, I, try, I heard someone say it at one point and I try to stick to, to using this, this uh, in, my own, in my own life saying, I'm, uh, this is what I believe, but I'm open to being wrong. I'm open to being wrong. What if more of us had that mentality of just being open to being, maybe I don't have it all figured out. What a novel idea. Chad, maybe you don't have it all figured out. Like, imagine that, like, like the, the, uh, like, you know, like what, I didn't mean to pick on you. <laughs> That's, that wasn't in my notes. Sorry, Chad. The, um, but what, you know what I'm saying? Like, what if we're more and more, we're reasonable. We're open to not being wrong. I was thinking about it and I, I heard a pastor at one point share these three different sentences that could radically change our families, I believe. How about these three sentences? I'm sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? Do you know what those could do in our families? Those three sentences? I am sorry. I was wrong. Will you forgive me? That is open to reason. I'm sorry. I blew it. I messed up. Not, not because of this, but just simply, I'm sorry. I was wrong. I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have spoken like that. What if, what if we introduced those into our families, even this week. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? You know what? That's the gospel message right there, isn't it? Like that's what we come before God saying. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And Jesus Christ's blood covers all of those sins. That's the amazing thing about the gospel message. I'm sorry, I was wrong. Will you forgive me? There's an opportunity for us this week to move something from knowledge to wisdom. The next one. Full of mercy. Mercy, not getting what we deserve. You see, we can't just bask in God's mercy and then not extend it to each other, right? That, that's messed up. That's a problem. If we're just soaking it all in, like, yeah, I'm forgiven. And, uh, and, and, and how quickly we want mercy when we mess up, but we scream for justice when someone else messes up, Right? So we, we, we want, when we blow it, we're like, yeah, man, cut me some slack, man. I'm only human. You know, like how often we say that. But when somebody else messes up, we're so quick to say, yeah, he deserves justice. You know, what if we we're extenders of mercy? We've talked about this before in church. The next one describing, uh, describing godly wisdom, good fruits, 
Our fruit doesn't make us, it reveals us. Good fruits, our good fruits should be just coming out of who we are. Next one, impartial, not showing any favoritism. We talked about that a few weeks ago. Number seven, sincere, sincere, no fronts, just the real deal. What you see is what you get. This sounds like the right way to do life, right? When you start seeing that description, you're like, hey, that's, that's a little bit more in line with the kind of existence I want to have. I want to be pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, impartial, and sincere. And then look what it says is the outcome. A little different than the chaos in, in every vile practice that's described from earthly wisdom. And it says this, And a harvest of righteousness is sown. A harvest of righteousness. Coming from the Midwest, we have... Um, the state of Indiana, you may have heard of it before. Uh, we have the, this state, and, uh, and you drive through Indiana, and they have just miles and miles of nothingness except corn. Lots of corn. They have lots and lots of corn. And, and if it's been a good rainy season, you can drive, and you can see these stalks that are seven, eight, maybe even eight feet tall, just every direction as far as you can look, maybe somebody playing basketball, but basically just corn. Like that's, that's it in Indiana. Like simply, the, and I was thinking about that in, in, in our church as this, as this descriptor. What would it look like if, if we, as we start living out this, this godly wisdom, that there is a harvest of righteousness, that everywhere you looked, you saw people living rightly before God. Every direction, you look down this row and they're living rightly before God. You look down this row and their marriage reflects God. You know what I mean? Like, what, wouldn't that be an awesome thing? Wouldn't that be a beautiful thing? That's what he's saying is the outcome of knowledge rightly applied. That's the, that's the outcome of knowledge rightly applied. And so my question for us this morning is, are we smart or are we wise? Are we smart or are we wise? Let me pray for us. Dear God, I thank you for this, this picture that you've painted here that describes both sides of the coin and basically where both sides of the coin get us. God, in the, in the first descriptor of, of earthly wisdom that's, that's, that's wrapped up in selfish ambition and bitter jealousy, gets us nothing but, nothing but chaos, nothing but, but every vile practice. I pray, God, that if you need to work in us in either of those areas, the area of selfish, ambit selfish ambition or bitterness, God, that you would start doing that even here in these moments that we'd be honest with ourselves before you. What's driving us? What's motivating us? What's causing us to do the things that we do? God, we so much desire to follow your way, the way of wisdom, the way of godly wisdom that, that, that's, that's marked by characteristics that we want to be marked by, marked by patience, that's marked by being peaceable, that's marked by being reasonable. God, that's what I want in my life. God, I just pray that you do a work in each one of us, recognizing we can't do any of this on our own. God, I pray even this, this, this brief little challenge would stick in the, the minds of folks here this morning with those three simple statements. I'm sorry, I was wrong, will you forgive me? 
I pray that would resonate in the, the homes across Agora this week. How we thank you for your patience and your grace with us. We love you. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I pray you guys have a wonderful week and have the opportunity to apply some of these things that we talked about. We're going out to lunch, my wife and I, with the Ramses uh, for, uh, over at Urban Cafe on Canwood. If anybody doesn't have plans, you're welcome to join us. Is that weird to say that? If not, have a wonderful week. We'll have the elders up here if you'd like to be prayed for.